This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for November 12, 2023. The title of the message is Blessed Morning. Good morning. It's always a, um, a privilege and a pleasure to stand before you, open God's Word, and... and uh, and look together what God has for us. If you would turn with me in your Bibles, we continue in our morning series through the Beatitudes, which is a uh, part of the larger series through the Sermon on the Mount. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 1 to 4. If you don't have a Bible or you have a different translation, you can follow along uh, in the worship bulletin or the slide behind me. Just to give, just to give you a, just a little bit of context, um, this is the prologue, if you will, uh, the introduction, uh, where the Lord previews the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, but particularly lays out the foundation uh, for the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where He gives the character and the, the nature of life in the kingdom of God and. And as we see, he begins the whole sermon with the blessings of God and the character of God's people as they receive this blessing. Again, it's not a formula for, for earning the blessing, but it is uh, the description of God's people who inherit the blessing, who are given that blessing. Uh, since uh, since uh, the reading and and. and the reading of God's word has been prayed for. Why don't we jump right in? Here now then, the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Amen. I remember going to my very first funeral, or at least the, the first funeral where I really knew the person and, and it, was, um, it was a time in which I mourned the death of a loved one. Uh, it was a funeral when I was four, 13, and, and it was my, my best friend's grandmother who had died of, of uh, cancer. And I was particularly heartbroken, not only because this is the first person who I knew and loved, but she adopted me like her own grandchild. Uh, I spent a lot of time at my best friend's house, and his grandmother, grandparents uh, always came over, and they hugged me and gave me a kiss like their own grandchildren. And I remember seeing her lying in the casket as if she were asleep. Uh, the cancer had ravaged her body to such an extent that she, she was just a shadow. It seemed like a shadow, a skeleton of who she was, all skin and bones. And, and there's only so much makeup uh, that, an, that a mortician can put on. And there's only so much... Uh, that a, a mortician can do to, to hide uh, and to present this person uh, the best they can as, as much as we can remember. Uh, 
And I remember sobbing with such a broken heart and not having any words of comfort to give to my best friend. He, the whole family were they're so dear to me. I wanted to say something, something to just uh, lighten or comfort them just a little bit, but I had no words of comfort. And I realized at the time that I had no words of comfort because I myself had no comfort. It was, the t- it was that moment, uh, not too long later I became a Christian, but it was that moment where I realized like, what comfort do I have in the midst of death? What comfort do I have when I mourn? And I wanted to, to search far and wide, deep and, and, and uh, into how can I find comfort when I mourn the loss of someone I love? And, um, and I just remember just passing by in that receiving line and just not saying anything and just sobbing with them. Have you ever felt that way when you've experienced a deep loss, whether it's a loved one or the loss of something that was near and dear to you? What comfort can anyone find in the midst of such loss? What comfort then does God give to those who mourn? Uh, We're all mourners in this life. We are all going to suffer loss in one way or another. And here is the, the comfort, the very best comfort that you could ever have. This morning, the Lord promises to comfort us who mourn, whatever that loss may be, with the joy of our salvation in Christ. And so let's unpack what that means. Let's see what it means to to be blessed as we mourn, for we will be comforted. Well, first, the Lord promises to comfort those who mourn over a world fallen and ruined in sin and death. Here in the second beatitude, those who mourn, uh, the blessing flows. The idea flows from those who mourn or those who are poor in spirit to those who mourn. That there's something about being poor in spirit that then naturally leads to to a mourning of a loss. And so to be poor in spirit, as we saw last week, meant you have to see the poverty of your spiritual condition. To see how poor you are spiritually before an extravagantly rich God who is rich in mercy and grace. And it is those same people who know their spiritual poverty who are mourners, who mourn the loss of all that was right and good, all that is true and beautiful, all that is loved and beloved. To mourn is to be brokenhearted over everything that is wrong in the world. And this takes us back then to the very beginning when God created the whole universe and everything in it. Genesis 131 says that God had finished making everything and God saw everything that he had made. And do you remember what he said in Genesis 131? And it was very good. Like the whole of the Garden of Eden, the world was a paradise 
before the fall into sin. There was no sin, there was no death, there was no suffering, there was no disease, there was no injustice. It was a perfect paradise. But when Satan uh, tempted Adam and Eve and they ate of the forbidden tree, they plunged the whole world into sin and death, all of humanity in and through them. Sin and suffering entered into the world and everything was broken. Everything was turned upside down. All that was good was, uh, was broken to the point where we mourn in one way or another. Corruption entered, rebellion entered, death entered. And like a plague, it has spread throughout the world, throughout the ages, even up unto our present moment. Sin turned the, the world that God had made good, upside down, and brought in disaster, rebellion, suffering, injustice, evil. And the pinnacle of, of the, the consequence of sin, uh, the wages of sin, the Bible says, which is death. Uh, the whole reason why, the pinnacle of why we mourn in this life. Everything bad that happens in the world, every reason for which you and I mourn, whatever it might be, is a consequence of the fall. And so as we mourn a world where we experience the curse of sin and death, we mourn the death of our loved ones. We mourn the pain of cancer and disease. We mourn the injustice of evil perpetrated in the world. We mourn the evils of war, genocide, and oppression, injustice. We mourn the evil of sin on a global, national, and local scale, even a personal scale. We mourn the sins that people commit against one another. We mourn because deep down inside, we know the fallenness of the world, that this is not how it was supposed to be. When our loved ones get cancer or Alzheimer's and die, we mourn because we didn't want to lose them. We weren't supposed to lose them. We mourn because we know that the suffering in this world, the reason why we mourn is just wrong. We mourn because it's not the way that God made everything. We mourn because as image bearers of God, we were made to live forever, to have fellowship and communion with him. And when we don't have that, we know deep down inside something is missing. And so we mourn. We mourn because we know the world is upside down and we are absolutely powerless to do anything about it. And so all we can do is cry, cry out in sorrow and sadness. You know, it's interesting that skeptics and atheists see suffering and evil as proof that God does not exist. They say if God is all-powerful and good, then why does he allow suffering? So because there's suffering and evil, it means that there is no God. Or at least they would say a God who can't do anything. Or a God who chooses not to intervene. But here's the Bible's answer to that, that skeptic, uh, skeptical approach. 
How do you know something is evil or unjust unless you have an idea of what is good? An evil, good versus evil, or just versus unjust? How do you know that suffering is, is a bad thing so that you can say, oh, well, why doesn't God stop suffering if he's good and, and, uh, and all-powerful? Why do we mourn when we see such suffering, injustice, and evil in the world? On what basis does the skeptic judge the natural world to be horribly wrong and unfair and unjust? In other words, how can you mourn the suffering and death in the world if there is no God and no standard by which you to judge that as, as, uh, as evil or unjust? Why, why do you mourn something that... If God doesn't exist, it just, it's, it's a natural part of life. Why do you mourn it? C.S. Lewis realized that mourning over the state of the world actually, point, it wasn't proof that God didn't exist, but it was evidence and a pointer to the fact that God does exist. He says this, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private uh, fancies. Consequently, Atheism turned out to be too simple. You see, what C.S. Lewis was saying is we mourn because we understand that there's something wrong in the world and this is not how it was supposed to be. And the problem lies with us. We, We mourn because we yearn for a God, for God to fix that loss. We mourn because we, don't, we weren't supposed to experience that loss. But because of sin and death in the world, the world is broken, and we mourn over that brokenness. Secondly, the Lord also promises to comfort those not only who mourn over a fallen world, but those who mourn over a fallen self, over a fallen self broken and ruined in sin. We not only mourn over the the, uh, state of the world, we mourn over the state of our own souls. Just like spiritual poverty, Jesus is talking about a spiritual mourning, a spiritual mourning that in which we experience grief down to the very core of who we are because we have sinned. Because the problems of injustice and oppression and evil and sin and suffering in the world is not just out there, but it is also in here. Alexander Solzhenitsyn says, We mourn because the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. We mourn because G.K. Chesterton, uh, when he was asked, what is wrong with the world, to which he answered, I am. See, the evil and injustice and the suffering for which we mourn 
that the whole is made up of the parts. And what are the parts? You and I. Think about it. All the evil and suffering and injustice, how much of it comes as a result of jealousy, pride, a lust for power, a greed for money, nation states, or even among two people, wars, violence, murder, death, suffering. All the suffering uh, that we see right now is a result of what we've done as a human race. Bombs, missiles, nuclear weapons, uh, famines. I mean, enough, this is what I've heard is, is here in America, we throw away enough food to feed the whole world. So, what does it mean then to mourn over our sins? At the very least, it means three things. First, it's an act of repentance where we recognize the sin and evil within us. It's an act of sorrow for all the sins that we've committed and the sin that so saturates the state of our hearts. Right? We're not only, we, we, are not, we not only do sin, but we, we are born and conceived in sin. Sin is the natural state of the human heart apart from Christ. When Adam and Eve plunged us into sin, we all fell into sin. Paul says that because of that, that death in sin, right? When, when God said, in the, in the day that you eat of that forbidden fruit, you will surely die, and we did. From the inside out, from the soul to the body, we spiritually died. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, Paul says, because we are apart from Christ, alienated from a good and holy God. Mourning is the, the heartbreak we feel when we realize all the sins we've committed against those we love, but most importantly, against a, a God who we, we're supposed to love, a good God, a wonderful God, a merciful God, a compassionate God. We have sinned against him and him alone, first and foremost. And so mourning begins with that recognition about ourselves. It's also a conviction of sin in light of God's holiness. The spiritual mourning begins with the recognition that we have sinned against an infinitely holy and loving God. And this was the experience, if you remember in Isaiah 6, of, of the prophet Isaiah when he encounters the glory of God's holiness, when he is lifted up into the heavenly places and he stands before God's great throne in heaven and he sees the glory of God, the holiness of God, what does he do? He falls right to his knees and he cries out, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, Isaiah 6, 5. You see, you can only see your sin in light of a holy and good God. This is what C.S. Lewis was referring to earlier. How can you know the world is unjust unless you know what is just? How can you know that you're a sinner, let alone mourn over your sins, unless you know how holy God is, how good and just he is? How can you know how crooked you are 
unless you stand next to someone perfectly straight? How can you know how unholy you are unless you know how holy God is? Third, we mourn not just the character and conviction of sin, but also we mourn because of the cost of our sin. And Ian Duggan says this, the reason why this awareness causes such mourning is that Christian is that the, that the Christian understands what sin costs, and not just sin in general, but, but specifically what my sin cost. They know, they know each and every one of their sins was piled up onto Jesus on the cross. My sin was pounding the nails into his hands. My sin was pressing down the crown of thorns onto his head. My sin was driving his sense of utter abandonment by God. When we realize that, then the knowledge that we sin each and every day through accident, through not doing the things we ought, and through our own deliberate faults becomes something we weep over. Christians mourn their own sins and the heart attitude of rebellion from which all of those actual sins arise. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, summarized this idea of mourning over the conviction of our sins so wonderfully when he wrote these words, alas and did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. This might I hide my blushing face, while this his dear cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt mine eyes to tears. Friends, Brothers and sisters, when was the last time you really mourned over your sins? This is the experiential heart of what repentance is. We mourn and grieve the deep suffering and sacrifice that Jesus made to win our salvation and forgiveness. We mourn the death, the depth of what God sacrificed, his one and only beloved son, and what Jesus gave up, his very own life, so that we might be forgiven, washed, and reconciled with him. And so we mourn our sins in light of what Jesus did for us on that cross. The hymn writer, in, uh, the Gettys wrote, in, in, the, in that great hymn, How Deep the Father's Love, they say, it was my sin that held him there. So we mourn over our sins. And as we mourn over our sins, because we see what it cost Jesus, who received, who took upon our sins willingly because he loved us, experienced the nails on his hands and feet, the crown of thorns, the nail, the pierced side, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Experienced the full wrath of God in which he cries out, I thirst. So, that eternal separation 
the eternal forsakenness of God the Father because of our sin. It costs Jesus everything. And as we mourn over our sins because of what we see at the cross, it is that very same cross that then begins to show us the comfort that we so desperately need, that comforts us with the grace of his salvation, in which he turns our mourning uh, over sin into the joy of salvation in himself. And for those of us who already trust in Christ, we need to keep on mourning our sins. We need to keep on looking to Jesus and remind ourselves over and over again how much he sacrificed for our sins. And so we ask ourselves over and over again, how can we keep on sinning? You know, uh, one of my favorite uh, theologians, uh, John Piper, he put it this way. He said that um, if we knew if we knew that Jesus died for our sins and we, and, and we kept on sinning for those sins for which he died, it is akin to taking, that, to, to taking the spear and continually piercing him in his side for each of our sins that we continue to commit, knowing what Jesus suffered. This is the way in which God can comfort us as we mourn over our sins, is to mourn over what Jesus did in order to procure our forgiveness. And so how can we keep on sinning? The more we mourn over our sins, the more we will then rejoice in the gospel. This is at the heart of God's grace and the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. And brings us to my last point here, that in the gospel, in Jesus' death and resurrection, God turns our mourning into joy, our sorrow into gladness. Why? Because Jesus mourned over us. He wept over the death of Lazarus, John eleven thirty five. 35. He knows what it means to suffer the deep loss of someone we love. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53. He not only mourned over us, but he mourned with us. And on the cross, he mourned for us. The ultimate comfort for us who mourn is only possible because Jesus died and rose again, because Jesus mourned on the cross for our sins and rose again so we might rejoice in him. He drank the cup of God's bitter wrath so we might drink the cup of his wonderful blessing. Blessed are those who mourn for a fallen world, for they will be comforted with a new heavens and a new earth. This is a, uh, a beautiful truth. Whenever you see Jesus performing a miracle, it not only was a sign to confirm his identity, but it was an inbreaking of the new heavens and the new earth that is to come. It is a reversal and renewal and a restoration of how the world was supposed to be before sin and death entered. So the leper is cleansed 
is healed as a new creation. Uh, The blind is given sight. The, The deaf can hear. The paralyzed can get up and walk. A new creation of God restoring and renewing the way the world was supposed to be. And even when he called Lazarus to get up from the, get out from the dead, to raise up from the dead, it was a preview uh, of that, that day when the resurrection and the glory of the new heavens and the new earth will come. And it was culminates, climaxed in Jesus' death and then resurrection. That the whole world, the new creation will be renewed Just like Jesus' body is raised from the dead, so shall we. And it is this comfort for those who mourn the loss of a fallen world, whatever it is, war, death, oppression, injustice, famine, disease, suffering, persecution. All of those things will once and for all be done away with because Jesus died and rose again. And the new heavens and the new earth will come. And John says this in Revelation 21, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. Whatever, friends, brothers and sisters, whatever you are mourning over, uh, perhaps you're still mourning over the death of, of a spouse, a husband or a wife. You've been married for so many years. Maybe you're mourning the death of someone you loved so dearly and you, it still hurts just thinking about it. Perhaps you are mourning over a diagnosis that you are currently fighting against, cancer, chronic disease. Perhaps you are mourning over the loss of a life that you could have had, but things didn't turn out the way that you hoped. Perhaps you are mourning over relationships that you had such great hopes for and it all fell apart. Perhaps you're mourning over a world in which there's so much death and destruction and injustice. Seeing the images of children blown apart. Children uh, unable to eat and slowly dying of, of malnutrition. Whole families buried under war rubble and you see them all clinging to one another, dead. Perhaps you are mourning the loss and the injustice that we can so easily uh, have on each other. But the good news, friends, is that God is, Jesus is going to return and make everything right. Make everything right bring perfect justice and restore the universe to its rightful place, to turn the world right back, right side up, to enjoy the glory for which God had created everything, including you and me.
And blessed are those who mourn over their sins, for they will be comforted with the joy of their salvation. That when you mourn over your sins and you look to Jesus as he hung upon the cross by faith and he rose from the dead, you know that your sins are once and for all forgiven and you can go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness for whatever sins you might commit. That there is no sin that you could ever commit that God will not forgive because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is the great comfort of the gospel for you and for me. That you can go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness and he will freely give it to you because he loves you. That is the deep comfort that we find in the gospel. And this is the deep comfort that Jesus gives to us that we can pass on to others. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, for who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort also. In the midst of such loss and mourning, may these words be the comfort of your hearts. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for thank you for pointing out to us our sins so that we might mourn over them. Lord, we thank you that you created a good world and we mourn because this is not how it was supposed to be. And we thank you that you comfort us in the gospel. Lord, come quickly. Uh, Lord, and bring an end to all the suffering and sin and death and that we might see the new heavens and the new earth, that the old will pass away and the new has come. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.